Welcome into the front office. My name is Tony Lombardi, your host. I'm joined by Jeff Zarebeck from The Athletic and also with Brian McFarland from Russell Street Report. Welcome in, guys. How are you? Good, Tony. How are you today? Good, thanks. I wanted to let our listeners know that the front office is brought to you by LifeStoryVids.com. Every individual has a unique story. LifeStoryVids gives you the opportunity to document your legacy for your loved ones and the generations to come. And it's not as expensive as it sounds. So let's talk about the life story of Lamar Jackson to start things off with, guys. There's been a lot of talk about Lamar, and a lot of it has focused on either improving the passing offense or his contract. So let's talk about that contract because, you know, the, the Ravens have done a nice job this offseason, in my opinion, of surrounding him with better assets. The offensive line, on paper at least, looks like it's improved, and they've put some assets around the outside with the addition of Rashad Bateman and Sammy Watkins and, of course, Hollywood, uh, Hollywood Brown going into his third season. So talk a little bit about, J Jeff, from your perspective, because it seems to me that the Ravens really don't have the pedal to the metal when it comes to getting this deal done. Which, which, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's interesting, uh, guys. I mean, it's such a hard story to cover as a beat writer because who on Jackson's side do you even talk to? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Jackson's not updating beat writers on the status. Jackson's mom doesn't ever do interviews. I don't think she's ever done an interview uh, aside from the Heisman dinner when uh, Lamar won. So you don't really hear from their perspective. And the Ravens are obviously being very quiet on theirs. This is very sensitive um, you know, it's weird that it's kind of been treated like a formality in a lot of circles, like it's going to happen imminently. And I, I know what John Harbaugh said. I know what Eric DaCosta has said. Um, but, you know, I also remember Eric DaCosta, the first thing he said about Lamar when he was asked about it this offseason was Lamar is patient. And to me, that resonated with me. I, I, I think the I don't think the Ravens are any rush. I think they would like to get this done. Uh, but I also think they know it's kind of a sensitive deal, um, you know, and when you throw in him not having an agent and all that. So, uh, you know, they want to get this right and, and, you know, continue this partnership for Lamar for the foreseeable future. But, you know, we're talking Boku Buck. So this is not just a deal that just happens overnight. Brian, if they were to get this deal done before the season starts, what kind of numbers would you expect this to, to look like? And what might be the impact on the 2021 salary cap? Yeah, I mean, the biggest scenario or problem there is that they don't have a lot of cap space to work with. His, presence, his present cap space is about $3 million. They'd have to make it work so it doesn't go up much more than that. Um, so they would it, it seemingly if it's going to get done this year, you're looking at maybe a $10 million bonus. Um, this year with a million dollar base salary, he's already got a bonus proration from his rookie deal that raises his cap number about 1.2 million. So that, that, uh, that works out pretty well. Um, and then next year you're talking about, uh, an option bonus of 30 million, let's say, um, and he's on the books next year for close to 23. So they can actually that, that kind of bonus, a bigger base salary, go up to maybe 10 million, something like that. And they could actually still save a couple million in cap space next year um, with some wiggle room. And you're probably adding, uh, it, I think it, the most analogous deal for him is probably uh, Deshaun Watson. Um, his, his average about 39 a year. Uh, I, think, I think you'll see Lamar go to 40 or 41 
a year, but that's new money. So he's due 25 over the next 10. And then the new money is the, uh, is 160 for the, for the new four years. Jeff, do you get a sense? Cause this is, this is kind of like a theory that I have, but that the Ravens want to see, we, we mentioned that they've added these assets offensively to help him be a better quarterback, particularly in the passing game. Do you think there might be a sense that they want to wait and see if these assets actually do improve the passing game before they make such a huge financial commitment? That's a tough question to answer, Tony. I mean, that's certainly my theory and, and why, where, where I would stand. You know, look, I, I did a story on this a, a month or so ago, and yet every analyst I talked to said, why wait? What are you doing? Like, you know, this is a deal you want to get done. To me, I, I think there's something to be said for waiting a little, you know, I'm not saying that this is what exactly they should do, but I don't think it's the worst thing in the world if they wait a bit and see, it's not just Lamar's progress as a passer and what Lamar does with his new weapons. It's, you know, can this offense continue to stay ahead of the opposition or is it going to hit a wall? People are going to catch up. Um, they're going to have to do other things, evolve offensively, and it doesn't work out like they hoped. And they may have to go, go in a new in terms of what kind of style of offense. I, I mean, there's a lot of variables where I could see them saying, you know what, let's see this year. But that's not what they're saying. I, I mean, now, granted, what they're saying publicly could be different than what they're saying behind closed doors. But uh, everybody I talk to seem to suggest that this is something they want to get done this offseason. I don't think it I, I see the benefits of getting it done. Make no mistake. But uh, I also don't think it's going to be the worst thing in the world if if they have to do it next offseason. Yeah, it may get more expensive, but you also have more knowledge and, and better idea about salary caps going forward and, and where Lamar is at. You know, there's a few other players, too, that are up, going to be up for contracts in 2022, one being Bradley Bozeman. And I wanted to talk a little bit about him because we talked about how they've added assets on the offensive line and they've shifted Bradley from left guard to a center position that he's familiar with, having played it at the University of Alabama. Brian, I, I got to ask you, is, is this something that you would try to get done sooner rather than later? Or do you think it's it's, you know, behooves the Ravens to try to wait and see and see how he actually plays the center position at the professional level before engaging him in contract discussions. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously a lot's going to depend on what they think and, and obviously uh, what they project uh, for him as far as being able to handle the job. And obviously they think he can. But I mean, I, it, once you get if, if you get Lamar done this year and then you've got Andrews standing in line, too. And of course, Andrews could, you know, could end up with the franchise tag, I guess, because the tight end franchise tag is one of the more reasonable ones when it, you know, when it comes down to it. So, um, I mean, I, I would think they kind of wait. I mean, they, they've done a lot of in-season extensions over the years, over the last couple of years, I should say. Uh, that seems to be a thing DaCosta likes to get done. So I would think they wait and take a look first. Um, they don't, they certainly don't have an heir apparent and he is going to be a free agent. And then you're starting over next year if he's not back. Um, and I don't think he's going to, he's not a guy that's going to break the bank either way, probably. Um, but then again, is he, isn't he a guy that is he going to be that hard to replace also? Yeah, good points. Now, speaking of the offense and let's stay with that topic for a bit, Jeff, I know we've been out there watching OTAs and mini camps and we've seen, the progression or sometimes lack thereof of the Ravens backup quarterbacks. 
I look around at this roster, and I, I know everybody kicks these topics around, those topics being, you know, what about the offensive line? How many people are they going to carry there? What about the secondary? How many there? How about receivers? Will they keep seven? Thinking about the offensive line and, and where they're going to go with things and, and maybe having additional players there because they've invested a lot of draft capital in that, I find it hard to believe that the Ravens will keep three quarterbacks in 2021. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm leaning that way too, uh, Tony. And, and, you know, some of it will probably depend on how, you know, a lot of it will probably depend on how Huntley and McSorley performed this summer. Um, Last year, you know, teams didn't have the benefit of, you know, really getting a look at those guys. This year, those guys are going to be in the preseason. There's going to be tape out. Uh, Might be harder to get one of those guys through waivers. But if Huntley wins the job, Trace McSorley for a while now. I think you kind of know. I mean, he's not a finished product by any means, but I think you kind of know where he's headed, what 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 he's about as a quarterback. Um, and if Huntley clearly beats him out, you know, it, it's it's just going to be tough. It, it's going to be tough on a lot of uh, you know fronts to carry high, given how many draft picks they have and how many young players they like. Um, you know, quarterbacks, young quarterbacks you know, will get scooped up pretty quickly. But look, if, if you don't, if you're not all that comfortable, Trace McSorley as your number two, I don't, or, or Tyler Huntley for that matter. Uh, I don't know. I think he probably makes sense to kind of roll the dice and see just because uh, you don't want to lose a, a young player in another position, like a defensive back or a defensive lineman. Um, you know, if I had to do the projections now and you never know about injuries at other spots, um, I would I would probably keep it at two quarterbacks, just given, you know, when you look at the roster as a whole. You know, Brian, I know a lot of times when you look at the salary cap, you look at it from the perspective of insurance money. How much do you want to kind of keep aside in the wallet just in case things happen during the season? If you cut one of these guys, and I really think that they're going to, and, and right now from what I've seen, I think Huntley is more like Lamar than Trace McSorley is and has actually played better during practices. We'll see what happens during the preseason games. But if you were to sign a quarterback, let's say they want to go to a veteran quarterback in season, if, if they keep just two and Lamar goes down, what kind of price tag are you looking at it? And do they have enough cushion right now to even get pick up a veteran quarterback? I mean, I, I would say at that point, if it's an in-season issue, you're paying the minimum for the guy and maybe throwing some incentives on just to get him to come in. But I mean, if, if he's, well, I mean, if Lamar goes down and you're picking up a guy off the street, uh, I mean, you, your season's pretty much over anyway. Right. Um, but I don't, I don't think any, I don't think the price tag is going to be any more than the, at that point, the prorated share of the minimum. And then, like I said, maybe throwing some incentives in, but if the guy's looking for work, yeah, he, you know, you can get him for nothing. I mean, basically at that point. This is the front office. I'm joined today by Brian McFarlane from Russell Street Report and Jeff Zarebeck from The Athletic. Jeff, you did a really nice piece this week on Ben Mason. And I just thought that, you know, it was really thoughtful. Did, you did a lot of homework, dug deep into his background and whatnot. Some really interesting stories. And I just look at that, that player and the Ravens roster, just like with the quarterbacks, I can't see them keeping two fullbacks. And so I'm wondering if you believe that number, if you agree with me there, number one, and number two, if you do agree, based upon everything you wrote about Mason, 
Do you think he's ready to assume that role or is it that's still Patrick Ricard's? And if it is still Patrick Ricard's, what happens to Mason? Yeah, you know, I can't see them keeping two fullbacks either. And, and you know, we watch practice together. I, I, you know, and I think I forgot the wording I used in the story, but it just seems to me that he'd be miscast as a number three tight end. You, you know, he ordered to catch three passes at Michigan. And, you know, he had quite a few drops, not quite a few, but he had a, a few drops in, in the practices we saw. Um, you know, I think a lot depends again this is a guy that gets down the field on special teams and every year we see them keep three or four, uh, you know, special teams only guys like, look like the Jordan Richards of the world and the Anthony Levine's of the world. And, you know, Chris board plays a little linebacker, but you know, Devonte Harris, you know, there's going to be a handful of those guys that they're going to have tough decisions on. You can't keep them all. And where, where does Mason fit in? Uh, I mean, can he give you some enough as, as a, you know, reserve tight end slash fullback in times slash special teams, you know, guy who can play on every special teams unit to justify his roster spot. I, I think he has to show that. I mean, you know, you don't want to judge him, you know, a big fullback like that, who's known for his physicality, you don't want to judge him on non-contact practices in, uh, you, you know, in June and, and and May. I mean, that's not fair to him. I think we still need to see him in the preseason when the pads come on. We start seeing some blocking drills to see where he's at. But yeah, it's hard to find a spot for him, Tony, no doubt. Uh, it's just, there's just such a backlog there of fullbacks and tight ends and, you know, you wonder if at that point of the draft, they're like, look, this is the fifth round. You know, they traded one of the picks. So they, they all, you know, you, I don't think they were dying to pick up anything. It was a pretty thin draft. And you wonder if they were thinking, look, Pat Ricard's coming off hip surgery. Nick Boyle's coming off serious knee surgery. Pat Ricard's in the final year of his deal. Uh, you know, let's just bring this kid in, see what he does. See if we, it was to, let's take a look at him. Worst case, if we have to, cut them the teams carrying fullbacks and the most teams that are kind of like the guy they got maybe we can slip them on the practice squad so I think the jury's still out on him uh, but no doubt uh, this is a big summer for him and and uh, I, I think he has to make the team he's not going to get grandfather just because he's a fifth round draft pick yeah the way I looked at that pick too is that they really fell in love with the character and and the fact that he just really seems and you mentioned this in the article a fit for the Baltimore Ravens and the type of player that they look for and they probably thought, it's just a guess, that if he was an undrafted free agent and they got him that way, or if he went to that, that route, he probably doesn't sign with the Ravens because of the presence of Patrick Ricard. Yeah. So, so they, I think they draft him because he's the heir apparent. And, and Brian, we've seen this before from the Ravens in other positions where they draft a guy where you really don't think that they need that kind of depth. You saw it last year with J.K. Dobbins. They draft a guy only to find that that guy is actually being counted on heavily going into the next season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the first example was probably Todd Heap when they had Shannon Sharp. Yes. And of course, I guess none of us realized that the cap purge that was coming, uh, you know, we were new to the, the salary cap era at that point to not, to not realize what was about to happen. But uh, yeah, they've certainly done that a few times. I mean, the out, you know, the outside linebackers, the rush, the rush guys when they've had, you know, Zadarius and, and Judon and uh, Kruger and, you know, and the like. So they've always seemed to be bringing guys in um, like that. So uh, certainly, yeah, I mean, it makes some sense. I, it, it is, you do, it does make you wonder, 
you know, why that pick happens. So, and, and they don't, they're not a team that does things without reason either. Um, so um, there, there, you know, there must be a plan there. And, and I think you're right. Maybe, you know, maybe he slips their waivers because every, you know, fullbacks aren't very, um, you know, sexy, so to speak, and for most teams. Brian, I want to stay with you for a second on the next topic that I wanted to get to, which is Brandon Williams. We've seen Brandon Williams take a couple of pay cuts over the past few seasons, uh, most recently this past offseason, if I'm not mistaken. And there's some people that are questioning, questioning his spot on the 2021 roster. I think that given the fact you've got Brandon Williams, Calais Campbell, and Derek Wolf, all guys in the Novembers of their career, I don't. Th I think you have a big risk of letting one of those three go because it's unlikely that all three, or maybe not none of them, play sixteen games or seventeen games in twenty twenty one. Your thoughts on Brandon Williams and the possibility that the Ravens could let him go? And, and what do they say, like six million dollars against the cap? I, I no, they can't save anything because it's oh, no. guaranteed. Because it's guaranteed money. Um, oh, yeah, and that was part of him taking the pay cut was guaranteeing it the money so he couldn't be cut. Um, I, I, I don't know. Every year, the same question comes up and I see Jeff smiling. It's and every year on Twitter, it's like it's not going to happen. I mean, <laughs> the Ravens clearly value him far more than a lot of fans do. Uh, people hated the contract in the beginning. Um, and, you know, it in that five years later, it wasn't a bad deal money wise from from the actual standpoint of the total. Um, what the problem was is they restructured it three times before the pay cuts, and that made those those and that made those cap numbers go up. Um, and but they were never going to cut him. I mean, you know, I obviously they wouldn't have done this deal if they were going to cut him. So um, overall, they 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 made their you know I think I mean you could they rest could he rush the passer better? Yes, but overall they've made good money off of him. Um, and, and again, he's the last two years, he's taken, he's taken less. Um, so, you know, the, he's not, he's earned less than what the original contract was. Um, but yeah, it, it, they went to keep, to make sure to get him to take less, they gave, they guaranteed it all. So he's going nowhere. Anyway, he wasn't going anywhere anyway, probably, but. And, and Jeff, uh, Brandon's a, a good locker room guy, a, a leader on the, on the team. And with a couple of young defensive tackles that they're trying to bring along with uh, Matabuike and with, uh, Washington, you would think that he'd bring some value with that in that regard too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, he's, he's become a real polarizing player uh, over the years and uh, you know, he'll go down as a very, very good ring. We're not talking about one of their defensive stars over the years, but he's been a very solid player for them. You know, people look up to him and who do they have that's better, you know, from a run-stopping nose aspect? You know, they do like Aaron Crawford, uh, the undrafted free agent last year. I think he'll push Justin Ellis for a roster. Um, you know, you have Broderick Washington, who may get suspended. I mean, I don't think he's looking at a long suspension. I, I know he kind of settled that whole deal, but he's still... Um, you know, uh, was charged at one point, and, you know, sometimes it doesn't take, uh, you know, with the NFL, with their suspension. So I, I wouldn't surprise me if he gets a game, um, but I'm not sure yet. They said they were reviewing it when I last checked in, but, um, you know, I still think this team needs him. I, I really do. I, I think Patrick Queen needs him in front of them. Um, I think the rest of the guys up front need him. Uh, yeah, he's not going to play, you know, 70% of the snaps, but there's going to be match 
matchup, they face during the year where they're going to be uh, darn happy to have Brandon Williams on their side because he's very good at what he does. Uh, it's not sexy, as we talked earlier about the fullbacks, but, uh, you know, their defense is still patterned around stopping and knocking out the run first. And, and uh, that's certainly where he comes in. This is, this is his last year, Tony. Um, you know, he's on the last year of his deal. But, uh, you know, I, I fully expect him to be there week one. Now, there's some – it's been a quiet time right now, and I'm sure, Jeff, you appreciate that <laughs> at this point, this time of year. But the there's still – you know, the roster's pretty thick, and it's going to be hard to pare it down to 53. But that said, there's still a couple – I have three positions written down that I think could use a little shot in the arm. And in no particular order, I have written down edge – defender, defensive line for the things we just talked about for added depth and the age on the, across the off defensive line and tight end. You mentioned before, Mason, he doesn't look anything like a tight end in the NFL. And the guys that have been out there, the Eli Wolves and those guys in the world, they don't show me a whole lot in practice. Again, it is just shorts and t-shirts and whatnot, but they don't show me a whole lot in practice. Do you think, Jeff, that, you know, I know that the Ertz has been a guy that's been mentioned to the Ravens. Even last year, there was some rumor about trading for him. Do you think that uh, DaCosta could make a move to get a tight end between now and the start of the season? You know, yeah, I do. I, I don't see it as being a big investment, though. You know, like, like Ertz is going to cost them. And, um, you know, and the Eagles still foolishly holding out hope that they're going to get kind of a, a decent draft pick for him, uh, which is why he's still on the roster. But, you know, a guy that's played, you know, Delaney Walker, maybe that type that can catch the ball a little bit and help you as a blocker, kind of a veteran that they'd feel more comfortable with as, as that number three guy behind, you know, Andrews and Boyle, um, you know, there's a Charles Clay's worked out with them. Uh, obviously both Clay and, and Delaney Walker, no Roman played under Roman. Um, you know, I could see a smaller move, um, but I don't think it's something that they feel like they have to, I think they feel like they have enough candidates that, and the amount of time this guy would play the amount of snaps they feel like, you know, they have guys that could fill that role, uh, but they're always looking to improve. They're always looking to better that roster. Um, you know, some of it may depend on Nick Boyle. I don't expect him. Well, John Harbaugh said he, he doesn't expect him to be on the field. day one. training. How long is his absence linger? And at what point to get concerned, whether he may not be ready for week one, well, we shall see. Uh, I guess Tomlinson would be the Nick Boyle replacement on the roster just because he's blocking. But yeah, that number three guy, uh, Josh Oliver is probably the best candidate for that role. Uh, but he's got to get through a training camp healthy, which he hasn't done in his career. Um, to, you know, show he can do a little more. I mean, he looks okay at times, but uh, you're going to need to do a lot more than flash to, you know, kind of make one of those 53 man spots. Ryan, with respect to some of the edge rushers that have been rumored to the Ravens, do they have enough space to get one of these guys in? And if not, what's the first, who's the first candidate you go to, to maybe restructure or, or, you know, accelerate some salary into bonus to help make some uh, cap space? Yeah. I mean, I think obviously, um, you know, Houston's the guy everybody talks about. He's probably clearly the best guy out there. 
I think it's pretty clear he's asking for way more than anybody's willing to offer because he's still out there. So whether that number you know, eventually comes down, he would be the right guy. I guess Ingram is probably uh, the, the, the next guy. And I don't know if he hasn't signed because he's asking for too much or maybe he's still um, not, not fully fit from his injury from last year. So, um, I mean, they've got enough. I mean, I think they've got some flexibility. I don't see either of those guys. Um, I mean, Houston would get more, but at this point, if he gets five million, I'd be shocked. Um, well, certainly, from the Ravens, he can't get five million more than five million just because of the the cap, the lack of cap space. Um, so yeah, I mean, Ronnie Stanley's the guy you can create five million uh, by restructuring him. Um, everybody else is a little less. Humphreys two point something. Uh, Tucker's one point something and Clark's one point something. That's the thing. That's it. I mean, they don't have anybody else. So if you restructure all four, that's a little less than 10. They may already need to restructure somebody at some point. They don't need the cap space now, but once you get to September and obviously depends on how many injuries they have, they have a bunch of injuries and they're going to need to restructure somebody anyway, just to get through the season. So they don't have a lot of flexibility there. Um, another, another, another guy, you know, they talked, there was talk about at one point, uh, Malik Hooker is a, as a flyer at safety. Cause at this point coming off of injury, he's not going to get much more than a minimum deal. Um, that free safety spot, uh, having something like that, uh, something they lack, I'm not saying he's going to come in and start, but, um, the way, you know, the way, uh, Martindale, the way Wink does his defense, that would be a guy I think he could move in and out and, uh, and really get some benefit from. Hey, Jeff, you're around these players, and is it common practice or would it not surprise you if you heard that Justin Houston at this point in time is just, you know, I don't really feel like going to training camp. I'm just going to wait a couple of weeks. I'll get in before the season starts. Just tell me to go after that guy wearing number seven, and I'll be fine. Yeah, no, that wouldn't surprise me at all. I think, you know, they – they had these talks pretty early. I forgot it was right around the draft, right? When he visited, I think, if yes. I recall correctly. And I haven't checked in the last couple of weeks. You know, uh, executives and agents take vacations too. And, and you try to kind of respect that this time of year and, and not blow them up and bug them all the time. But last I heard is there hadn't even been a log in a while. It's kind of like they, they found out where he was at financially and they were at a certain point and okay, they weren't going to probably budge a whole lot. And it was up to him to decide, look, am I willing to play for that much? And I'm sure that's part of the conversation with him, Tony. You know, if I'm only going to make this, is it worth it to me? Do I win enough? I mean, uh, two things about Justin Houston is, one, Colts do a heck of a job evaluating talent. I mean, I think I have a lot of people have a lot of respect for Chris Ballard and their coaching staff. And they went out and added three different pass rushers, if I'm not mistaken, a veteran and two uh, draft picks. They had a ton of cap space, um, you know, to work with. So you wonder what they were seeing and why they didn't want him back. Um, obviously, he slowed down a little bit at that age you'd expect. But, I mean, the sack numbers are pretty good. Second question is, and this is percent speculation on my part, um, we saw – couple weeks ago when Ryan Kerrigan signed with Philly this was more than a couple weeks ago but it was reported by Adam Schefter I think ESPN that the Steelers were in on Kerrigan now Steelers now have a, a good bit of money in their pocket after cutting uh you know or moving on from David Castle 
they have some question marks. They didn't resign Dupree, obviously. Um, you know, Alex Highsmith, uh, I think, is a second-year, fourth-round pick or third or fourth-round guy. He's scheduled to start at one of the edges. It wouldn't surprise me if they're in that pass rusher market and now they, they become a candidate for a guy like Houston or somebody else. So you never know. I, I don't quite subscribe to the theory that it's Ravens or Bust for Justin Houston. Uh or the, but uh, certainly the Ravens are attractive defense to play in, and a guy like Houston, I don't think he feels like he needs to be there on you know first practices on July 28th. I don't think that's the end game for him. You know, if he has to wait a little longer and uh, you know to get the deal he wants or to go to the team he wants, I don't I don't see him having a problem doing that. All right, gentlemen, appreciate your time today. This has been the front office. I'm Tony Lombardi. Jeff Rebeck from The Athletics joined us, as well as Brian McFarland from Russell Street Report. Guys, really, really appreciate your time today, and enjoy the rest of your summer. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tony.